Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aeromarine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch Broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter because we're about to wrestle some feathers. Have fun. Hi there, this is Tom Alston. Today's issue of the Winning Pitch broadcast features a friend of mine, a fellow Grant Cardone licensee, and he's going to tell you, he's going to walk you through his life, and you're going to pick out periods of his life and the decisions that he's made, and it, our hope is that it'll inspire you to become successful, just like Doug. So, Doug, it's all yours. Hey, great, Tom. <clears throat> Appreciate the great introduction. I do know one thing, that I'm super humble to even be sharing my story with you. And not okay. that I'm anything special that I'm going to take you somewhere, but I just want to share a little bit of my story with you, and maybe I could be an inspiration to you. Wonderful, wonderful. That's <clears throat> our mission. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start in the womb? Do you want to start in grammar school? Or do you want to start yesterday? I think uh, when would now be a good time? That's what I always come back with. Okay. <laughs> well, then start. I'm going to probably start at age 14. Good. I was very, very fortunate at age 14. I, I was able to see Jim Rohn, Rich DeVos, Jay Van Andel, Zig Ziglar, and Dexter Yeager one weekend in Omaha, Nebraska, and that very that day changed my life forever. Okay. <clears throat> Those guys actually basically instilled the dream. I was I actually got the dream at age 14. I knew pretty much what I wanted to do. I wasn't quite sure how, but I was always pretty good. When, you know, when they trap shoot, you pull, aim, then you shoot. Well, I always pull, shoot, then aim. I've, always lived, I've always lived that way too. <laughs> Sometimes it's not the smartest thing in the world, but I've, I've always said, ready, shoot, aim. Yep. I tell you, if you're a really good shot with the shotgun, react your reaction shoot and the muscle memory, if you point in the general direction, it's a rare occasion I miss. Cool. I miss occasionally, and it's <laughs> really humbling, but I work the very next day as hard as I possibly can not to miss. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So but, I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Continue. Oh, no sweat. But the, no, because I was so impressed with what these guys had to tell me, and I'm, I'm very simple-minded, so it was really easy for me just to really strap on that dream where they always talk about our brain doesn't know the difference between something we vividly imagined or something we've actually experienced. I did receive that that day. Those guys really instilled the dream in me and they told me if I did this <clears throat> that I could do that and basically on that <clears throat> excuse me on that very day that's what I did I put my head down to the grindstone I actually I wanted to own my my own body shop so I actually I went to the local library and I, I got a book and I just started reading reading about how to fix and pound fenders and and do the I didn't realize it was more than just pounding fenders, but it went from pounding fenders to 
when I went to college, when I when I got out of college, they I was going to be like I wanted to go into teaching this type of you know type of uh, skill, the okay. uh, auto body repair, and they they turned my old school into a prison. So those <laughs> last two years I was going to go to school is now a prison in South Dakota. But I, that I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a story there, but that's not for today. <laughs> you know what's really crazy is my mother is a, is a preacher, and my mother has ministered at this prison for over 22 years. So it's pretty interesting how that's kind of webbed together, and she's always believed in me and encouraged me and, and watered that seed, took care of it. It took me an awful lot of years to really, really get what I had to grasp. But I mean, obviously in success, there's an awful lot of work. And if you really truly want success, if that's what you call it, it's spelled W-R-K. You have to work really, really hard at it. But when I, when I graduated, got out of college, I actually went south to Texas for a couple of years and I worked for some of the biggest players in my industry. And they actually basically showed me how to do it. A couple of years in, I actually journeyed back to my hometown in Mitchell, South Dakota, and started my shop. We started in a 1,600 square foot shop. One year later, I bought the building and expanded into 3,200. Year later, I expanded into 4,200, another 1,000 square foot office. And then in 98, wrapped it up in 99, expanded pretty majorly. We're at about 11,000 square foot today, and I'm, I'm getting ready to add on about another 12,000 square foot. But my first month in business, I fixed about 29 cars, and I thought I was a rock star. <laughs> today, we closed over 2,800 2800 ROs this last year, so I had 2,800 touches. That's an awful lot of cars. I just I never thought that could even humanly be possible in my area. My market area is about 15,000 people, but it's expanded to over 60,000. And it's probably closer now to that 80 to 100,000. So, are, so you trying to, are you trying to tell me they're all just really crappy drivers and they keep bumping into each other? <laughs> that's that's what we're banking on. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it does help when the animals run. We have a deer during deer season, the rut, uh, the actual deer, we really have an increase in business. We've had really, really, uh, we've seen the big mow in the last year, believe it or not. Even with all the COVID, it just cranked up. And Tom, about, about 13 years ago, we experienced, really, we worked really hard on our net profits and our profitability. And like paint materials, for instance, in our business is about 10% of your sales. Well, because of that, and I work really hard, a lot of my you know, colleagues made 45 to 50% on that margin and I could never do it. 15 of us got together one time and realized that we were all paying a different price. So we formed a company that's almost like likened to a Sam's or a Walmart. And it started at about nine, now we're in 21. We have 21 stores in my key choice group. I actually have uh, really great members in that there's you know 21 of us total, but then that has started to evolve into training. And 
you know, what was birthed 15 years ago, just for my own selfish, I want to, I want to be the top, top in that 50 to 55% growth profit of my pink materials. That's what started this company. We're like, man, if we band together as brothers, we can make this deal work. And my vendors, they told me that I couldn't do that. It's pretty funny. I went to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I filled my truck full of materials, brought it back. They said, well, you can't do that. I said, well, I already did. <laughs> and because of that, it's really, really grown into multi-million dollar company. And we're about supporting our members and helping them grow. And we've all become super successful because of that one thing, that birth, because we were at the point of like, man, this isn't working. And that one thing, what do they... Malcolm X always talks about that which you do not hate, you will allow. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a defining moment for me. I'm like, you know what? There's more to this than some big company taking advantage of all these great technicians and body shop owners that want to grow their empire that they shouldn't be taking advantage of. So that's really what formed our, our uh, other company. So the group that got together to do this, they're actually were your competitors? We were, we stay out of competitive markets. So we're, so in the future that possibly could be, but we try to go into markets to where there, there's really not a, a, someone that's competing with each other. Okay. So we're, we're all, we're regional. We're in five different States. We're starting to cover the map pretty good and we're, what we're trying to work on is closing the gap a little bit so we can be more of a regional performer for the insurance industry, possibly too, and the customer. Because we want to serve that base, but we want to step out to more to where in this new product, I'll be able to be in the more like a 48 states, maybe. Okay. It's more, some of it's virtual. It's be like me learning from you. I could learn a lot from you because of you understand the tax game. Well, the body shop business, what we do is really virtual, but what we want to do is take what we know, me and my partners know that's virtual and become the teachers. And we also, like Jim Rona says, when the students ready, the teacher will appear, not only the student will be transformed, but so will the teacher. Well, these people that I used to mentor and I've helped them grow very large today, and there are some of them are multi-shops. They're starting to teach me, Tom. Awesome. So some of the things, it's this baby is super valuable. And, and we can teach just about anybody that really has an open mind and opens the parachute a little bit. So for the possibility. Got it. So it's, I want to take you back a little bit. Sure. What caused you to go to that meeting with all of those dynamic people at the age of 14? Is that something that your parents had you do or did you do it on your own? Tell me about that. Yeah, I was super fortunate. My parents were in, in Amway. Okay. And man, that was powerful stuff. I was really introduced to network marketing at that point. And my parents, my parents were pretty good performers in that, basically selling selling soap and but it was more networking with the people. My mother's a great networker and I have, I know that's what's really helped me grow my business. But they always say in sales, what throw the rock up and the person, first, first person close to the rock. 
And for me, it's I'm not afraid to talk to anyway, anybody. Brian Tracy told me about 25 years ago, whatever it was, he said, if you really didn't care what anyone else thought about you, what would you do differently or change in your life? And that's became more of a mantra for me more because I do believe. And I was really fortunate because my dad had really strong beliefs. So I would ask my, if I even ever had a doubt about anything, I would ask my dad. And my dad would say, well, one time I said, well, dad, I want to buy this crash car and, and I know we can resell it. He said, well, what do you think? I said, well, I think we should do it. He said, well, let's do it. So he lended me his belief early on. He was a pretty high performer in sales, but because of my dad's belief is that's why I'm where I'm at too. Well done. Okay. So I'm, I'm, again, I interrupted you. So go back and tell me about what you're, what you're doing now with this organization and, and why it's helping you be successful. Well, yeah. Well, in our key choice business, a good buddy of mine said, he said, service to many leads to greatness, not service to a few, some you can't serve and don't get stuck there. But because of some of these guys that believed in me, took this even one step further. I've had the really great pleasure of mentoring some young colleagues in this business and they're high performers today. And it's, for me, that is probably the biggest reward. And a lot of these, these guys are the new teachers in our key choice model, really. They're the okay. younger generations that's that are coming up and they're real. I mean, they're really, it's amazing what they're doing. I'm so proud of all these guys in my in my industry. Well done. They're more passionate every day, Tom. I get more damn excited about this every day. I can see that. I've known you for a little over a year. And I guess it has it what well, we met at the uh, licensee meeting, what, in February last year? <clears throat> yeah, you know, Tom, actually, you and I probably met around three years ago. It was in April, and it was a it was actually a boot camp that Grant put on. Oh, okay. I thought I knew you when, when we first met, but I just didn't yeah. remember where. We actually, I, uh, and you you really encouraged me, you and your wife, and I, one thing I really appreciated about you is how you treated your wife. I learned a lot from you and how to treat, how you treated your wife is how I should treat my wife. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm super grateful for that. But you, you really had that, you know, nothing but great to say about Grant. And I know that boot camp, I left that boot camp, you know, up there say, oh yeah, I'm gonna have 30% increase, 40, whatever that jazz, right? But I bought into that. I drank that Kool-Aid, Tom. I'm telling you what, I came back. We were there in April. I came back in May and had about almost a 40% increase in sales because I used to believe in me 90%. I took that 90 to 100 and not 120, it's 100. I give it everything I had. And I'm like, you know what? If I give it everything I had, like Grant said, and I could have even done better. I know I could have done about another five to 6% better. And I closed some of those deals like a day later. But that doesn't count. Like if you can't <laughs> see the taillights, it doesn't matter. But the, that boot camp, it changed a lot of stuff for me. So what? tell me specifically about that boot camp. Uh, what What was the your big takeaway and what did you do with it? You know what, Grant basically gave me permission 
all the things that I had learned in books, I mean, I've read a couple thousand books, whatever the heck, that doesn't matter anymore. But all the books that I had read and or people that I'd met, they, these other guys were talking about how much they had increased their sales and because what they say facts tell and stories sell. Mm-hmm. Well, when they were telling me their stories, man, I was buying into their stories because I would talk to them on the side note and they're like, well, this is what we did. This is how we did it. I'm like, really? And I started taking notes and then I'd fall back up with these guys and they're like, yeah, we did it like this, this, and this. I basically mapped it out and I did some of the same things that they did. And immediately I actually, I didn't quit on the first or the second or the third. And if I had to follow up on the fifth time, I just kept staying after it because I would be cheating you if I didn't sell you. And Grant gave me that permission you gave me that permission. Jared Glant gave me the permission. And everyone I had a connection with in that room basically gave me permission. So as you start pitching and catching back, back and forth with these people, it's not a bunch of BS. I call it belief system. It's their belief system. And they're basically transferring that to you. They believe in you. Like Banco says, treat a man as he appears to be and you make him worse. But treat a man as you potentially see them. That's what they become. Well and said. I basically, become who I really saw myself to be. But freaking GC gave me permission, and along with everyone in the boot camp was responsible. I made some really good contacts there. Remember where you had to go out and you had to talk to someone and ask them how much money they made, and you mm-hmm. couldn't build any rapport. I knew I went to the bar for a drink. The guy right next to me, the first thing I asked him, I said, well, what do you make per hour? He's like, oh, I don't know, about 470. I said, oh, you're an attorney, huh? But it was so cool immediately. And then this friend of mine, Jason Rash, he's, he's like, well, hey, let's go get tacos downtown. We'll go, get, we'll go eat tacos. And then let's all walk the beach on the way back. And every there were six of us and one girl, Brittany, Bristy, and we had to take turns on who asked the next person. Mm-hmm. So we had the rapport that we were building the rapport. Not only that, I built lifelong friends and all these all these people. They're really tight with the we're tight group. Mm-hmm. It was like the rat pack. But it, one guy runs into these two guys, and they're one guy, so we make about three, four hundred, and then the next guy gets scared. We ran into a couple of guys pedaling, not you know. <laughs> probably a little bit rougher guys, but it was so funny, but we all, and, and the responses we got from every one of the people, it was so cool. But that- Can, you, can you give me some examples? Oh, responses. absolutely. Yes, yeah, some people are like, yeah, well, I make about 70 grand. Some guy be just easy going. He's the type of guy that almost would buy you a beer. And then, you know, we build a little rapport after, but we had to ask them point blank, how much money do you make? No rapport built or nothing. So it's basically getting out of your own skin. And then the next person, it was it was so fun. And man, some people like, wow, well, we can't share that information. But it was so cool. We built really good rapport with a lot of these people. One time we had about 12 people around at the same time because they saw what we were doing on the beach. But it was so fun. And I'll never forget that. John Max always says, he says, create a moment and visit it often, but create that moment. And that moment for me was the boot camp, but it was also the Rat Pack pulling together 
and we believed in each other. Sometimes we had to almost, they almost had to prod me a couple of times. I'm like, well, this is out of my skin. But, but we said we would do it. And we all got together. We met this other guy when we got back, Henry. Uh, Henry, I, I always call him Einstein, but he's a realtor. He's out in like uh, Jersey, New York and Jersey in mm -hmm. there. And we told him the same thing. And, and we're like, well, you ask him well, immediately. He's right up talking to a person in the lobby. We really never had to rally him. He's just that kind of guy. Approachable, really, really, really great guy, really great heart. But he almost, and because of that, he's became pretty tight with me too because of that one time. Did you ask him how much money he makes? You know, we... I never did, but I think that would be a good question the next time I call him. Hey, Henry, how much money do you make? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's lots of great stories where it's like Grant tells you to go out and ask somebody to give you a dollar. And, you know, it seems weird, but once you do that, it kind of it's breaks the ice or, you know, it, it, you, you, get, you get to realize that by sometimes all you got to do is ask. Yep. and you get what you want and yep. it, it, it to me it just shows how starved for real human to human communication people are on this planet and th then there's there's the reserve guy wow that's none of your business well the irs knows your bookkeeper knows yeah. your wife knows so why can't i <laughs> it's like you know you're not the only one in the world who knows your your employer knows how much money you made last year right you know so you can probably google it yeah, you, you probably get, and they're the ones who probably put that information up because they had a couple of drinks someplace and they were bragging about it. Yeah. Or, you know, it's just, you know, it's the, the one thing that COVID did for me was that you really, really showed how much you, you miss the human connection in conversations because while you and I may be talking to each other and we can see each other, thank God for Zoom, and the other platforms that do this. I'm not, it's not a product endorsement, but uh, you know, it, can you imagine just having all these conversations over the phone? <clears throat> you never really get to know because you can't see people's reaction. You don't get their emotions. Yep. You, can, you, you can get it a lot better than you can out of a letter or an email. But you know, I, I miss the connection with people. I didn't like it when our, we call him Governor Gruesome. It's Gavin Newsom, who's Nancy Pelosi's nephew, I think. He shuts all these businesses down. He, so I can't bring people to work. So we had to do everything virtual. So the because I knew it was coming, I had to set up a way for them to communicate with me. And for, for certain people, they have to be able to work on their computers at work. So I had to work out a way for them to you know, either VPN or using whatever software you use to do that. And so I could make it look like they were still working here. But the thing that I missed was the meeting because I, we spend uh, about an hour in the morning with after we have our success meetings and we go into training cycles on the closes and then we learn how to pitch our particular servers. But then in the middle of the day, I teach people have a class where I teach people how to pitch our services. And that's, for me, it's really hard to do over a Zoom call because there's no, the connection is just different for me. And that probably has to do with, I'm in my 70s where these kids are all in their 20s and 30s. But 
COVID taught me that I, you know, I can do a lot more things than I thought I could do because my initial reaction was, I'm going to go burn the Capitol down because this little Hitlerite thinks he can tell me I can't come to work. Well, the cops were driving down the other side, I'm right off the freeway, right on the other side of the freeway where all the malls are and making people leave all the stores. So that's how dictatorial this state is. And, you know, I just, it, it's a, how old are you, Doug? I'm 57. So I'm 15, 16 years older than you are. So we're almost from the same era, not exactly. It just, you know, I, I, I never saw this coming. And I'm a student of history. So I really, really, really am interested in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And I follow all the things in the rise to power of Hitler and the Nazi party. And I see the exact steps being used today by the socialists that the Nazis used. And it just drives me nuts. Why can't people see that? Well, because they were never taught anything. Yeah. You know, they, go to a, they go to a completely corrupt educational system that has a political agenda to push because they're trying to create people that basically are robots or work for big corporations. And I was never interested in that. I, I, although I have worked for other people in the past, I always knew since the time I was six, I'd be in charge of something. And I just kept pushing till I got to the point that I was in charge of something. And I don't mind the bad times. I don't mind taking responsibility for when something doesn't work, that it's totally my fault. I actually like that. Because when something doesn't work and somebody else tells me to do it, I blame it on them. And that's not good for me. So I apologize for using up your time this is your oh, time to tell your story so it's about it's valuable i love the pitch and catch because that takes me to a part of your journey but that's kind of an intersection point where our journeys meet and i they don't collide they mesh together and all you do is expound on me that i have to be a really good teacher too you have to initiate that question but it's it's been great and it's Man, it's, it's my mindset's so blown up in the last month. Things that I've written down for the last couple of months, things are just happening like one right after the other. Well, they should be that way because as Grant says, white space on your calendar is the devil. And I know yeah. from my stand, if I have nothing to do, I have a tendency to get in trouble. But why? Because I learned very when I was young that getting in trouble was fun. You know, it was, it was, you know, I, I, nobody ever punished me so bad that I wouldn't do it again. So, yep. you know, and that's not necessarily a good lesson to learn, but yep. you know, the, the truth of the matter is I know as a spiritual being, I always survive it. I always come through it. And, you know, I, I'm a little bit cavalier in my attitude sometimes. And I'm always shocked when I find myself introverting and becoming, uh, a really, really conservative, and I don't mean that in the political sense, I mean it in the refusing to take action, being average, being comfortable standpoint, because I love to play. I love to goof around and I'll do that with anybody. And so, I mean, it, it drives my, my people in my company sometimes crazy, the ones that are the managers and have to drive the machine and make everything happen. Why are you always nice to everybody? Why shouldn't I be? They, they, they can get the 
the orders from the order people or the sergeants and the majors in the organization, I sit at top. I get to be nice if I want. Well, and the reality is, is that I like people and I like communicating with people and, and, and you know, I can be taken advantage of. I don't really care. It just, it, it's a flaw in my character and I know that. That's why I have my beautiful wife, Julie, because she's tough as nails. And, uh, you know, it, it, well, you've met her and her, thank you very yeah. much for what you said about her. Yeah. Uh, um, do you remember what the conversation was or specifically what I said to you that acknowledged the way that I treated her? <clears throat> well, most all the time you, you always, you always praise and you let, and then you acknowledge, you always, you always validate and acknowledge her in conversations, but you always lean on, lean on, that time, I mean, it just shows me what kind of relationship that you have with your wife. Mm -hmm. And I thought I had it all figured out and my wife didn't, but I remember when my, 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 I stayed home with my daughter for about a week when she was about two years old, she's 20 now. And I thought I did everything. I make it all happen and all this. And then I was like, wow, I stayed home with my daughter for a week, taking care of my daughter. I was like, oh my word, I thought I did all the work. Now I know who does all the work. <laughs> my wonderful wife, she's like, she lets me know though. She's uh, she's that blind spot indicator for me. And the days I think I have it all figured out, she when I come home, she lets me know I'm marginal at that point. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so it's been great, but I I'm I wanted to model that because it did it does matter. Absolutely. It does matter. And I learned that probably 20 years ago about always acknowledging people. And from a standpoint of raising children, I have a viewpoint that little kids are just adults in little tiny bodies and they're trying to get back to being an adult. And if you treat them that way, surprisingly enough, you wind up with a wealth, yeah. with a centered adult who is responsible for cause and effect and and knows how to exchange with people instead of being in, oh, I hate to say this, kind of a rip-off mentality. I mean, I, I just, my kids don't live at home with me. You know, I, I, I told them that you, you can go to any college you can afford because I'm not going to pay for it because I don't believe in college. And that shocks people. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I want to, this, this, this message is from me to whoever would listen to this. You can spend money on Cardone University and you'll get 10 times the education that you can at any college, 10 times the education. It'll be better for you. If you're not going into some kind of field like nuclear physics or brain surgery, you don't need college. College is a place to get away from your parents and screw off and drink beer. That's what I see it as. And you know, I, 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 I apologize in advance to anybody who I piss off especially all the teachers in the colleges, but most of what they sell you is drivel. In this country, every statistically, within seven years, most people are in a career that has nothing, nothing to do with what they went to school for. So what yep. do they get out of college? You know, whereas I, at the age of 
oh, I don't know, 65, 66, got on Cardone U, and I still do my six segments every day. In fact, I started a contest with my employees. Whoever in the week, because every Friday morning the ma as a management team, we get the progress reports of all your team members, whoever has the most Cardone U segments and maintains an above 75% passing rate, we give them a, a Starbucks card. And it, 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 it's amazing. It's doubled the amount of, uh, uh, of content that they're watching because they're going for something. And awesome. You know, it, the reality is, is that from, uh, uh, <laughs> you won last week, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's little things like that as, as an employer that, that I, I grew up in a large family. There was eight kids and that's the environment I like. I like a, an environment of totally responsible to each other. Teamwork's one of our core values. And I work really hard. I work specifically hard on the hardest thing I work or the most attention that I have on anything that I'm doing when I'm in my business is enforcing the core values and making sure that everyone's bought in. Because if you don't buy into my core values, I don't want you here. Because the core values are the pillars that hold up everything that we do after that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's disappointing to me how many people between 20 and 30 don't get that. How many people don't understand that? But I hired them. I hired them. And it becomes my responsibility to raise their level of responsibility. And Cardone, you really teaches people about their confidence. If you stay with it, your personal confidence will come up high enough. If you don't do that, you're stuck in the swill that many people live in and I find it really, really important, especially in these days of Antifa and all those idiots, that there's some core values in this country and they go back to the original documents and they're not being read, they're being challenged, they're being changed and converted all the time by very, very evil people. Uh-oh, now you let me get my let me get on my political soapbox. <laughs> and and you know. The Constitution is not even studied in most schools these days. It just it shocks me. It absolutely shocks me. How could you not care? Because it's everything is instant gratification. Now, if I can look it up and there's a video about it, I'll learn something. If I have to read it, I ain't going to bother. And oh, I'm whining again. So anyway, this is your your chance to motivate people, not mine. And uh, so I think the motivation part, it's like <clears throat> when you really become that student and I'm so fortunate by, you know, I've run into you, Ed Milet, Andy Purcella, I mean, all these other people, Coach Burt, Ken Jocelyn, all these other people that I would have never had a connection with. That's the bigger power and be sure that you keep each other in check because your core values, like you're talking about, are the pillars are the pillars of trust. If you don't know what they are, there's no way that you could ever enforce them. And then it's going to erode your own behavior. The most important thing I learned from my connection with Brandon Dawson, are you connected with Brandon? Oh yeah, Brandon's awesome. Is that- MMM, uh, three M's, model mimic master. Yeah, so he told me something. 
He said, because I was, when I first got introduced to the, 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 the core value from his perspective, and I said, here's a lot of, lot of things that are, that are what I think are my core values. And he pointed out to me that one of my core values, which was financial freedom, can't be a core value because core values should be something that you're perfectly willing to fire people over. Changed my whole perspective on what core values were. I thought I had pretty good ones. And some of them I still have, I still have always had the ethics and the teamwork and the accountability and that kind of stuff. But so boom, it was gone the next day after he told me that. So it has to be something that you can demonstrate to your employees that this is what we are all held accountable to. Yep. And thank you for me, including me, my name in that group of people, because I know most of them. Uh, and and uh, you know their stature to me from where I'm looking is they're better than I am or they're more pro prolific or more promote than I am. So I appreciate that you've uh, included me in their group. So I have a couple of important questions to ask. If you had the opportunity to go back to your, let's put it at 15 because you've already been, I wanna want make sure it's after you went to that uh, meeting and tell yourself something, what would it be? <clears throat> maybe you could do it quicker, maybe. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, <clears throat> I was so fortunate because my, my parents always encouraged me. They told me I could do anything that I set my mind to. I didn't always believe it. So what they say, repetition is the mother of skill. Thank God that my parents continually encouraged me and told me I could do it, <clears throat> but I would tell them that I could do it. I would, I could tell myself that I could do it at a much younger age. And then I believe that, that you're more powerful than you realize. That's Shad Elmster wrote the book called <clears throat> what, what you say when you talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. That probably one of the things that's, Probably changed the most for me. Awesome. Good luck. And being that, <clears throat> they talk about, uh, you know, like Grant, Grant and Tony Robbins always says too, Tony always says, don't look at it as the world is happening to you, but it's happening for you, for you. And Grant always says, don't look at it as the world happening to you, but it's happening because of you. And when I really figured, when I kind of got that figured out, then I just surrounded myself with people that believed that. But I also surrounded myself with people that didn't necessarily believe what I believe. And what I meant, what I mean by that is there's a lot more power in some of the diversity that you can get connected with sometimes than make it a, a diversity. So that diversity takes you a lot more places in culture. So give me a practical example of what you just said. Well, someone may totally have the conception of this is the only way you can do it. And someone will bring a different strategy to the plate because their culture allows them to. And they're doing this almost the same thing, but 10 times as fast. And sometimes it becomes 10 times as fast because they're more of an expert in efficiency. Sometimes being super efficient can make the whole program less efficient. <clears throat> but once you figure that out and you take the magic and you pull it all together and then you kind of go, wow, you're like, wow. 
there's some power in this because you realize the power. So can you give the listeners and the viewers an example of how you can get so efficient that you become inefficient? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> the book, it's called The Goal. Elijah Goldtrot wrote the book called The Goal. And they had machines in that <clears throat> program where they had this machines were three and 400% efficient, right? So that really, that's gonna make everything super great, right? But because the machines were so efficient, they had to bring semi-load after semi-load of steel in, stock these plants with total chaos in inventory. So their costs go way up because these efficient machines and then all the other things were sitting waiting because there was too much of over, we call it overproduction and lean. So it's a lot of overproduction and then a lot of people waiting. Not only that, you don't always just have to wait, but then you get a bunch of product that sits there as inventory when it needs to get produced and it makes an in entirely inefficient model. That reminds me of the, have you ever heard the story about how the layout on a, on, on a typewriter or a keyboard was, was created? No, I've never heard it. There, when they first did it, and I'm, I'm, Paraphrasing this, so I apologize to someone who knows the actual fact. When they first did it, they picked a layout for all these keys and it was probably alphabetical, just so you know that. And it was a, a I think it was a typesetting machine for the printers, okay? And they found out that these people could type so fast that it, the, the, the typesetting equipment couldn't keep up with it. So they found that there was a way to lay the keys out that jumbled it all up and it slowed their production down to the point that the typesetting could keep up with it. And the, 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 the Q-W-E-R-T-Y query or Q-query or QWERTY or however you say that type of keyboard that we all use today was a reduction in efficiency huh. to make something work. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I, I thought about that and I go, well, why don't, if, it, if that's true, why don't we switch it back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <clears throat> because you, you know, it's like when they, do you remember when they tried to change all the, the gas machines in this country over to liters? I'm not sure. Like the gas machine? The, like... gas, the gas pumps, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It didn't work. Some yo-yo decided he wanted to make us like Europe, and there's very little about Europe that I admire, um, other than spaghetti and women. I, I'm not a wine drinker, so I have to leave that off the table. But what's you know what's the what's the point? You know you you you, you do this. There's a there's a way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. And like Grant says, best known always beats best product. So. Yep. What happens is, is that somehow this particular way of doing things, this particular way of doing things, which is half the efficiency of this, this becomes the standard. And yep. that's because whoever promoted this product kicked this company's ass in promotion. Yep. And, and that's a hard thing. I have a, a young nephew who is a winemaker and he makes incredible wines. And I've heard this from all of the people that I know that are wine connoisseurs, including I've been at some of these events where people are amazed. Oh, this is so good. And he got into that business to 
make great wine. He didn't get into the business to become the best known. And I kept in the very beginning, I was working with him and uh, I was talking to him about promotion and marketing and he wanted to be a winemaker. So now he's about three years in, he's pretty, again, according to his words, he's pretty damn successful, but the gross income isn't where it belongs. I says, well, what do you think you ought to do? He says, it's time to start marketing. And then he stopped himself. No, it's not. I should have done that first, huh? I go, yeah, somebody tried to tell you that, but you know, it's your company. And if you like living on beans and rice, then right. do it your own way. And I, I'm, I, I never tell someone no when they have an idea for a business because who am I to know what's going to work? Who am I to know what the public's going to do? As long as that business isn't being a contract hitman or selling drugs to children at school, right. you know, where there's not some ethical problem with it. <clears throat> I don't know. I always encourage people to try it. It's, it, it's just go for it. And my kids have always been that way. Uh, you know, I just, if, if you're expecting me to tell you not to do it, you came to the wrong guy. I'm going to yeah. encourage you to do it because I want you to find out. Well, and they, they don't fall far apart from the tree either. So if there's some things that you're really pig headed about, which is great, because then I know I have someone of a rigid thinker, and then I can balance a good thought by, by someone like that too. Because if you're rigid enough, I could put you in one of my circles that I know if Tom says this, I can back it up. Well, that, that's, you know, now we're talking about the parenting role, right? You know, there, you know, there are, I don't, I wouldn't let a young child run and play on the freeway. I wouldn't let a young child play on the balcony over a 33rd floor apartment complex. Right. It's my responsibility to create a safe environment, but I believe you got to give them freedom inside that environment because who knows? And, and trust me, as a guy that was born in the forties, I, I, I wasn't brought up that way. I wasn't I was brought up in a, in a Catholic family that my dad had a specific rules and my mom had specific rules and they weren't always the same rules. So yep. you always knew who to go to to get the answer you needed. <laughs> but you know, it just, it, things have changed so much that I believe in people giving and giving them space. I remember the day, the day I brought my 45 year old son home from the hospital, he's sitting in a little car carrier and I set him down on the, uh, on the dining room table and I said, let me tell you one thing. If you want to have fun in this life, this is how it works. Do anything that you want, as long as you're willing to put up whatever the penalty is, if you shouldn't have done it. And it, it, it's, that's always been my life. That's always been the way that I raise kids because, you know, there's, there's no absolutes. I, I learned that being a baseball coach that there's no such thing as always or never. There, it doesn't exist. There's, there's expansion and there's contraction but there's always more. There's always, you know, and that's what I like about the whole 10x philosophy of it. The 10x is a goal. It's not a destination. No. A, you, you know, there's always more. There's always more. <clears throat> and when I, when I look in my uh, checkbook and how the cash flow is going, I certainly know there's always more to be had because I've done it before. <clears throat> and, and I'm always working on keeping that graph moving in that direction. And Sometimes life works this way, oh, yeah. you know, and you have to be willing to deal with it. And yeah, yeah, if you don't have a challenge, I mean, the challenge is what takes you to the next level, Tom. You know that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Someone's challenging it. And it's like the only way you can get momentum. But what happens when you become successful and you become more of who you really need to be, become and live more uncomfortable, you have so much momentum that what used to be a problem is just another speed bump. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fun stuff, though. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, you're going to serve the good news is you're going to survive it and the bad news is you're going to survive it you yeah. know that, that that whole message that grant gave uh when it became clear that the corrupt government officials were going to lock people down and they were going to put a, a an economic solution in place for a health problem you know you're going to survive it yeah you know it just it just keep keep your head down uh keep working and and when something like this pushes back against you, push back against it. We're taught as little kids to run and hide and, and instead of pushing back against something. And, and, and so it was, it, was, it was, you know, Grant gave us all permission to do that, push back against it, you know, promote, 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 and promote, 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 and promote, promote, promote. And I've always lived there. I've, I've been able to create businesses from just promoting and it's what I did naturally. And then I realized I'm not very efficient at it. I'm not very good at it. And this, the, the whole computer and data gathering, gathering machinery and stuff like gives me ways of fine tuning that. And hopefully in the next 10 or 15 years, I'll have it figured out and I'll become pretty good at marketing. <laughs> you know, I've been trying to nail Jello to the wall for like 34 years. How's that working out for you? You better get a shelf. That's all yeah. I can tell you. Yeah, and besides, as long as somebody else cleans up the wall, I'll keep trying to nail the <laughs> Well, I want to thank you for your time today. And here's your golden opportunity, brother. This message is going to be available to all 7 billion inhabitants of planet Earth. What's your message today? My, my message would be <clears throat> to dream huge and have faith. Line yourself up with people that encourage you and challenge you and that would, would actually believe in that dream. Pretty simple. This is the Doug I know. Cut to the chase. Get it in the fewest words possible. And then go back to work. <laughs> so thank you for uh, giving me this hour and the listeners of this hour of the day and we'll do it again sometime okay brother i appreciate it, tom take care buddy i appreciate you have a wonderful day that's my plan every day <laughs> well that was fun wasn't it i'm invested in your business and personal success and i hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful if you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. The number 10, then xlenz.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode. 